You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hey, in today's interview, um, I was so excited to speak to my guest, Howard Hinden, DDS, that we just jumped into conversation. I didn't have the chance to introduce him, um, so what you're going to hear in the recording is us just talking, and uh, we were so caught up that I had to say, Howie, hold, hold on a second, let me get the recording going. So that's why it sounds like we're just jumping into it with no intro. But who I'm speaking to today, I've interviewed before. He's a graduate of the New York University College of Dentistry. Uh, Dr. Howard Hinden. He's, um, I would say, a polymath, a a genius when it comes to maintaining your airway, understanding why you have sleep problems, how dental issues, structural issues, airway issues, many other physiological issues can cause you to have poor sleep, which cascades into all kinds of other problems. Uh, makes diabetes worth worse, uh, obesity, makes it hard to lose weight, makes you tired during the day, um, and on and on and on. There's a lot to be learned from this podcast. I hope you'll listen in. Howie does a number of seminars uh, through AAPMD, and he also has his own practice in Suffern, New York. So I want you to listen in as I speak to uh, Dr. Howard Hinden. Physical therapists are very important uh, because we... In dentistry, you think about the tongue and the and the mouth, and ENTs think about the nose. But a right. lot goes on with the uh, with the ribs and the, and our diaphragm and how we hold ourselves. You know, and how if you look, think of uh, somebody slumped over, head forward, shoulders forward, their lung capacity becomes smaller, makes it more difficult to breathe. And so. Uh, in our office, we work with physical therapists all the time. As soon as we see there's a posture issue, you know, yeah. and um, often once we open the airway and they can hold their head up straighter, they still have habitually bad posture that has to be corrected. So there's so many pieces involved. It's, huh. uh, it's well, what we just yeah. We just had our major annual conference in Nashville which is uh, the theme of it is called Collaboration Cures because most of the uh, non-infectious diseases or the chronic diseases, learning problems, poor performance all have their roots in, in multiple causes that require many um, different disciplines. And people and practitioners have to learn to work together. Yeah. So that's what our conference focused on. We had over 800 people. Wow. That's awesome. Conference. Huh. Yeah, so it's great. So, so we have a movement going called Collaboration Cures. So we have physicians, dentists, physical therapists, myofunctional therapists, 
nutritionists, chiropractors, uh, speech language pathologists. Everybody, everybody should know what other people's roles are right. for optimal health. So that's our challenge. What, what, thanks what's for thinking that, of me. No, no, because the things you said really, like, I don't know, they just made me think differently and then opened my eyes up to things I hadn't thought of before. But that's what I wanted to ask you. What is it? What's a typical pathway or set of pathways or therapies that you take people through, and why does each one of them help them? Okay, so uh, yesterday I, I gave uh, I participated in a conference to the New Jersey State Pediatric uh, Dental Society, and what we talked about is how treatment has to be personalized because okay. each each uh, discipline has a has a part of the uh, the puzzle so you need to know what uh, what practitioners each person needs for their problem as well as how do you prioritize the treatment what do you what do you do first uh, for example there's more and more talk about how myofunctional therapy is important for airway because you need to learn how to breathe through your nose you need to reestablish nasal breathing. One of the cardinal signs of an airway problem is mouth breathing. So uh, somebody who can't keep their lips together, lips are dry, breathe through their mouth, they just, you know, they're going to have an airway problem. It's significantly at greater risk. And so um, one of the treatments for that is myofunctional therapy, where you learn to uh, get the, the tongue muscle in the right place, tongue up against the roof of the mouth and the lips together and that can be very effective uh, and, and in some cases actually really help improve airway and breathing right. however when you say improve airway however, and breathing some, is it is it during the day or during sleep or both like both, what do you see both. changes in the person because ideally that you should be able when you with your mouth closed to keep your the uh, base of your tongue, not the tip of your tongue, your whole tongue, pushed against the palate right. and uh, with your lips together. Uh, if you can't assume that position, then your tongue will tend to be further back. When your tongue is further back, then uh, it's going to obstruct your, your airway. So learning how to position your tongue would, would be good. And some people just have low muscle tone. They can't do that. However, some people can't do that because their, their mouth is too small, their arch is too narrow. And so in those people, even with the best of uh, physical therapy, best of myofunctional therapy, they're not going to get a good result because the uh, anatomy of the mouth doesn't allow them to put their tongue in the, in the right place. So right. they would need something like uh, an expander or orthodontic treatment or, or something like that. In other people, the problem may be uh, centered in the nose where they have a deviated septum, they have allergies, where even if you had the tongue in the right position, their nose isn't functioning properly and they're not going to be able to breathe uh, through their nose. Yeah, I would say and, stuffy uh, nose is, but when I've seen stuffy nose, at least for me and a lot of people I know, is like an ongoing problem and People say, oh, just take an antihistamine or, oh, just do this or that. But clearing a stuffy nose is incredibly difficult. Like, the only way I've been able to do it 
is by changing my diet, like cutting out dairy and things like that. But for most people, I don't know if they'll go to the extremes I would go to, but um, you can't just clear a stuffy nose when you feel like it. And I've noticed, you know, in sleeping and during the day, if you have a stuffy nose, like you can't breathe through your nose. You just can't. You're just, no matter what you do, you know. So obviously, so Richard, you just brought up a very another great point about the importance of of nutrition because that certainly can affect uh, cause inflammation, cause membranes to swell, and uh, and lead to uh, a stuffy nose. But one of the other interesting things, if if somebody has an airway problem, airway collapse, then if you think of the whole our whole airway through our nose and our throat as a, as a long straw, think about what happens if you were sucking through a straw and I squeeze the straw. Your lips would would pull in because you have negative pressure, yeah. right? right? So if somebody has negative pressure, let's say, in the back of their tongue or someplace, you try to breathe through your nose, it'll tend to pull the nostrils in. And, and, and after years, a long period of, of that happening, you begin to weaken the cartilage in the nose. And actually, it's, the nose isn't stuffy because there's an allergy. It's stuffy because you're getting collapse of the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the nose being pulled in. One of the ways you can experiment is to go to a drugstore like uh, Walgreens, CVS, or even Walmart, I think. And, they, and there's a product called... Uh, Mute, M-U-T-E, made by Rhinomed. It's, it's a nasodilator. It's sort of like um, a, it's like the breather right strips, but it's, it's, it's a little bit different, and it's much better. It fits inside your nose. It comes in small, medium, larger, and you put it in there, and it keeps your nostrils. It supports your nostrils and keeps them open. And a lot of people, as soon as they put it in, they say, oh, my God, I, my nose isn't stuffed anymore, and I'm breathing much better. And so it's not because you've cleared up... Uh, an allergy or sinus problem, the problem was long-term improper breathing or breathing with greater resist- resistance has caused negative pressure and collapse of the structure, the cartilage of the nose. <laughs> and so, uh, and actually using that for for uh, a while, and so, some people claim that that alone will restore nasal breathing and get rid of the stuffiness. So as I started to say, there are so many factors and you need to figure out each person needs to figure out what is their unique set of circumstances that are contributing to them having less than optimal breathing. And certainly it's different for, um, maybe different for a child than, than an, than an adult. But what are, okay. So to go back a little bit, you talked about myofunctional therapy. Does that work for adults? You know, can they do for instance, tongue exercises and, maybe lip and, you know, singing and things like that to strengthen the different muscles in and around their pharynx and everything. Will that work? Or, uh, I mean, what, what will help an yeah, adult? You know, a ch- child, it seems like things can move a lot more easily, but what about adults? Everything moves easier in a child. Um, but myofunctional therapy is part of the treatment that um, airway practitioners use for children, all the, for adults all the time. We do that all the time in our practice too, uh, but again, you need think of um, somebody who has an injury, and uh, they have to decide whether to do surgery or rehab. So, first, you might try to do the rehab first before, if possible, before you do the surgery. 
And it's the same thing with biofunctional therapy, retraining the muscles, getting the tongue in the right position. Uh, one of the problems that happens because the tongue isn't in the right position and the archer, our dental arch is determined by the pressure of the tongue on the inside and the pressure of the lips and cheeks on the outside. And in a perfect system, those two muscles are in balance. And that's what creates a nice round dental arch that's not narrow, that's wide, and, and good nasal breathing. But sometimes it may not just be the muscles, just like sometimes rehab won't work, won't work alone for an injury. Let's say the little muscle attachment under the tongue, which is called the frenum, is, is too tight. Right. Then all the training, all the muscle training in the world will never help someone get their tongue in the right position because it, it's restricted. The tongue cannot move. So that needs to be evaluated if that needs to be done with myofunctional therapy. As I said before, if the uh, dental arches are very narrow or, narrow or crowded, that if, that if one was to measure the, uh, the width before, between the, uh, your upper first molars, should be at least 28 millimeters, closer to, uh, to 30, 30 millimeters. In some people, it's very narrow. It's like 20. There's no way you're going to get your tongue in the right position under those circumstances. One of the problems in, in the whole world of airway, depending on the practitioner that one may go to, they will tend to see that their modality, the thing that they do, is the most important thing and offer that therapy without an initial um, getting consultations from other practitioners. So instead of having a uh, complete plan when somebody starts treatment, they'll, they'll end up going from practitioner to different practitioner. It's sort of like if you're remodeling your house, do you want to be your own general contractor or would you rather go to somebody and have them put a whole plan together, an architect, and before you before you start calling in workmen to uh, remodel your house. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So um, what are some other common paths you take people through that are less invasive to help them? All right, so uh, the first thing that, that uh, you, you can do, as I said, in order, in order to, uh, before you might want to go to a practitioner and go through a whole uh, lengthy and costly workup, you can go and you can get a mute. You can, you can go to a, um, a store and get an oral appliance for, um, I think, $40, $50 or something. Order them online. They sell them. Uh, it's not custom made. Nobody's doing a measurement. But you can try it as an experiment. Say, you know what? I really am noticing a difference. Maybe it'll be worth my while and important for me to take the next step and go to uh, a practitioner who can give me a full workup. So you can, you, there's the oral appliance. Some people claim they, they benefit from just taping their lips together at night to help establish nasal breathing. Of course, you're not going to use duct tape or something like that. You're going to use some fine silicon tape that, that if you needed to open your lips, you'll be open your lips at night. Um, and, and some people claim that that helps them restore their nasal, nasal breathing. Huh. And then there are, then there are factors, uh, relating to how you sleep and breathe 
that really have nothing to do with the structures. It, it could be it could be due to really bad habits. Bad habits like uh, we like the effect of yellow orange light on our eyes, which is sort of the fires that we had when our ancestors lived in caves. Right. We don't like blue light. The blue light from uh, uh, digital clocks, from TVs, from iPads or cell phones prevent our brain from producing melatonin. And so if the last thing you do when you get into bed at night, you look at your, your cell phone, you're going to delay the production of melatonin. And so you're not going to be able to fall asleep right away. And what do most people do when they can't fall asleep right away? They pick up their phone and their iPad again, which, which then just, you know, recreates that, that, that cycle. Uh, watching the, the evening news before you go to bed is also a factor. And then the other interesting thing is a researcher in California, his name is uh, uh, Sacha Panda, who wrote a book called The Circadian Diet. He's going to be one of our speakers at our next uh, 2020 conference in, uh, in Seattle, November 12th to 14th. So, so he wrote a book called The Circadian Diet. He said that, and he did this incredible experiment where he took two groups of rats, gave them the diet was really junk food and the only, and they ate exactly the same amount of food, except one group of rats could only eat their food within, I think a 10 hour window of time during the day. And the other group could eat whatever they want. Same amount of food, same poor quality food. The, uh, the group of rats with the restricted diet did not gain weight. The other group did, and they didn't have any of the, health problems like diabetes or cardiovascular disease that are associated with a, with a poor diet. And his belief is that we have a, we have a clock and we, when we go by our, our clock, um, we should never eat after the latest eight o'clock at night uh, because our liver is that based on responsible a, for one question, eight o'clock, but what's that's based on a bedtime of what time? Well, it doesn't really matter the, the bedtime because our liver likes to go to sleep at, stops, wants to go to sleep at 10 o'clock. And, and so that if we present food to our liver for digestion later than that, um, it throws the whole process. It doesn't matter when you go to sleep, but ideally you should go to sleep when it gets dark. You know, that when, um, when there was less food around in the winter and the, and the days were shorter, people just slept more because they didn't, they didn't get enough uh, food. But, but uh, there are things that have to happen at night that don't happen during the day. Our brain cleans out uh, toxins. Uh, we, get, we get rid of the, the beta amyloid that is responsible for uh, uh, cognitive loss and Alzheimer's. Our immune system gets re reset. The total bacteria count in our body goes up during the day and down at night. And uh, there's this beautiful rhythm, you know, it, it sort of equates to yin yang of Chinese medicine. There's this rhythm of what needs to happen to um, reset everything at night. When we muck with the system by eating late or not going to bed on time, not getting enough sleep, that, that doesn't happen. And so instead of our immune system being reset, uh, that doesn't happen. In fact, that in studies looking at immune system, 
they've shown that even one night of disturbed, poor sleep alters our immune system. So imagine what would happen after days, weeks, or months, a year of, of that happening. Uh, what hey, impact is that going to have, have on us? What, what's your yeah, opinion ahead, here? What if, what if someone goes to sleep at like, I don't know, one in the morning and sleeps eight hours every night, they sleep in darkness and they have shades for their room and everything. They don't sleep the quote-unquote normal schedule that other people sleep, but they don't sleep when the sun goes down, but they sleep this you know, pushed forward schedule, but it's consistent and they're getting eight hours. You think that they're going to still be compromised? Sounds, it sounds like you're asking me that's how you sleep. Uh, Maybe everybody has, a, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? You see, you're, uh, you're using the term normal and that may be normal for, for you. That may be the right, the right way for you, that your system has, a, has got used to, to sleeping. You know, that they're, there are animals that sleep all day and and, uh, and come out at at night because we we learn to uh, we've learned to sleep when when it's when it's safe to sleep. Um, some people, some animals only can gather food at night. So we don't know that that could be your that could be your pattern, and that and that could be normal for you. The thing is, whenever you're going to sleep, your meal should be. Uh, should be done accordingly. And what happens, the, uh, the uh, circadian rhythm can be reset. Uh, some people reset their circadian rhythm. But what do you do? You experiment. You say, look, I don't know. Maybe my sleeping pattern is really good for me. Uh, and maybe it's not. Let me, let me see what happens if I alter it. The, the key is you should not eat within um, four or five hours or even more before you go to sleep. You should, the the uh, you want the food to be processed before you go into into deep sleep because sleep aside from the the uh, uh, resetting the immune system it's all it's it's when we clean out all our waste we process things you know sort of like uh, when everybody goes to sleep the, they clean up the city and they pick up the garbage and you get up in the morning you should you should be not tired you should be not sleepy full of energy you should be hungry. And uh, you should go and have a good bowel movement. As soon as you have your first anything, anything, food or drink, you should have a, a desire to ent- empty your bowels and have, have a bowel movement. That, that, that's the ideal way that we function. So we, we eat, we go to sleep, we, we reset, we get up, we get rid of our waste, and we go out and, uh, and uh, hunt together and do what we have to do for the day. If you're waking up and you're not getting enough and you're feeling tired and you need something to help you get started and, and, uh, you, you don't, uh, you don't have a good bowel movement in the morning and, uh, and you're not hungry until later. These are all signs that your system isn't working the, the way it should. And, and so that, so they may, you may want to tweak that a little bit, but, but, uh, that goes back to what I said earlier that, once you start looking at, at treating these type of problems, it becomes very personalized. Uh, there, there are people who do great uh, sleeping irregular hours, and there are people, if, if, and, and they have flexibility, and there are other people, as soon as you change their clock a little bit and, and you throw them off schedule, uh, they're just not going to feel well. You know? and, and one of the things that we recommend, you keep a little diary of, of what happens when your sleep pattern change? What happens when your 
your eating habits change. What happens when when when, when exercise when you when you don't get enough exercise during the day? And and those three things plus a uh, certain level of mindfulness are what I call my four pillars of health. One is uh, always sleep, always sleep and breathing. The second is food, diet, and nutrition. The third is movement and exercise, and the fourth is uh, uh, mindfulness, where we we have a place where we can detach ourselves from the uh, all the stresses of the day. You know, like you planning right. the next ten or fifteen interviews that you're going to do, and <laughs> and putting them on your schedule, and 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 how to how to ask intelligent questions, which you do so well in order to okay, make the interview sound good. Um, so, so a question so, here: um, How often? First of all, is it your goal to try to find interventions for people that aren't, let's say, surgical or aren't just major wax to the body? And how often are you able to do that? If so, so let's let's say, let's just look at um, sleep apnea and all all the different possibilities. One of the uh, treatments for a sleep problem is weight loss. But the problem there is if somebody is not sleeping well, it affects a certain neurotransmitter that is produced in our body called leptin. It's produced in the GI tract. It travels to brain and it tells our brain, you've had enough to eat, stop eating. When you don't sleep well, the receptors in the brain get damaged and you don't get that message and you eat beyond your need for food. You, you overeat. And and so if you're not sleeping well and you try to diet, you're not going to be able to lose weight. And and plus the fact, if you're not sleeping well and you're tired during the day, you're going to crave carbohydrates, which are, uh, which are, which are not good anyway. And it's going to help you. It's going to help you put on weight. And so what happens is people, they get up in the morning, best of intention. This is going to be the day. I start my diet. I'm going to be good. But as they get tired during the day, the first thing that happens, the brain says, I need energy. Give me something. Give me something for energy. I need it quick. And you'll go and eat carbohydrates and you don't even know what happened. Next thing you know, you don't even realize how you, how you ate it. So if somebody has a, a, a problem, and it is my goal that people should be able to take charge of their own health. Uh, the, the best, the, the best uh, thing that a doctor, any kind of practitioner could do is remove the obstacles standing in the way of somebody being healthy and then get, get out of the way and let the, let the, uh, the person take care of their own problem. Because if they don't, they will just need a, each successive intervention. They'll go from practitioner to practitioner. That When I talk about collaboration, one of the partners in this collaborative process has to be the patient. So the, the patient isn't something you do something to or for, you do it with. So if somebody wants to lose weight, you can help them with their sleep and then maybe either direct them to a nutritionist or a, uh, or a, a integrated medical practitioner. Or once you help them with their sleep, they may find that they may be, be they may be able to, to diet better. Or based on what Dr. Panda says, you know, there's this, this whole method, you, you don't eat uh, right away in the morning, you, you wait a while. Or you, you stop eating early. You shouldn't eat for um, 12 hours or, or 14 hours or even up to 16 hours so that if you stop eating at 6 o'clock at night, 
you don't you don't eat again uh, until ten o'clock in the morning because what's happened in our life we have adopted our sleeping and eating and exercise schedule to the other parts of our life or when we have work to do when we all the other things we do but for thousands of years when we existed on this planet everything we did was based upon all those other things rather than the other way around that makes sense are there again typical paths that you'll take people through when they come to see you i know everyone's different but like, what are you seeing out there that's predominant? What are the two or three maybe major pathologies or major issues that people have in regards to their airway and breathing and, and sleeping? They come up just a lot lately. All right. So let me tell you what, what happens when somebody comes into our office. And they, they, they may come in because they have an airway problem, or they may just come in as a, as a dental patient. So let me, let me talk about the latter because that's more like – what most practitioners will do. So if somebody comes in and is going to see our dental hygienist, for example, the first thing that we do, and, and, and probably every practice will do, we review the medical history and the, de- and the dental history and any medication that somebody's taking. And because in the back of our mind, one of our goals is to be able to identify what we call the hidden hidden airway problem, because a lot of people have it, uh, don't know it exists, that if we see in their health history, they have um, reflux, they have uh, cardiovascular problem, high blood pressure, arrhythmias, they, they get up frequently at night to go to the bathroom, that is a flag that there may be an airway sleep problem. Then we look at medications, whether people are taking medications for uh, cardiovascular problems, diabetes, for uh, chronic pain, uh, for inflammation. These are also flags. So once we see that, we'll ask them, what's your sleep like? Uh, and most people say, well, I have, I have trouble falling asleep or I, I wake up during the night. How many times do you wake up? The most common answer is I wake up a few times, but I wake up because I have to go to the bathroom. Uh, I have to pee. Uh, how many times? Well, like every two hours. My next question would be, so do you so do you pee every two hours during the day? And if the answer is no, then I know that it's not a uh, problem with the urinary tract or the bladder. The problem is uh, something's happening at night, and that's a common characteristic of somebody who has has a sleep problem. So the, the goal is to engage the patient in a conversation so they will become aware that they may have an airway problem that they hadn't noticed before and give them an understanding so that you, you know that it's very common that when uh, practitioners come up with a new discussion, one of the things patients may feel, well, what are they trying to sell me now? Uh, we just, so initially we just want to raise awareness. If, if that's the case, uh, a lot of patients will begin to put the uh, connect the dots and say, Wow, this could be connected to other things that I'm having. All those things, you know, I I have this problem. I could see that in my children. I had this problem as a child, and and then we'll we'll say, say, all right, what can I do about it? I said, well, we can do uh, a home sleep test. Where uh, and, and in most cases that'll be covered by by medical insurance to get an idea if there's something else going on, 
or they say, oh, I can't breathe through my nose. And then I would recommend going to a store and getting a nasodilator or trying something different. The other thing that we can do is, is we could take a, a piece of wax, soften it up, put it in the mouth and move the jaw to that same position that it would be in if they were wearing an appliance. Do you notice a difference in your breathing? Uh, most people will say yes. The other thing is, you know, they, that I ask people, make a snoring sound, and people go, <clears throat> I make a snoring sound. If, and, and now I said, push your lower jaw. You can try that. Can you make a snoring sound, Richard? Can you, you do that? Now? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. Now, move, move your, stick your jaw out as far as it can go and try to do that again. It's lighter. It's not yes. as uh, easy to make the tissue. Vibrate. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the, we show people that by moving the jaw, now, and then if you move your jaw forward or you open your jaw and you move it forward, there will be a position for most people that they can no longer make that sound. Hmm. And, and, what, and by not being able to make that sound, what is that indicative of? It's indicative of the fact that their airway is is more open. Right. And of yeah, course, if, if you then, of course, if you lie somebody back in a dental chair and you have them do the same thing, it's not going to be worse because then the effects of gravity when you when you lie down. One of, one of the things that, that that I think dentists, some dentists don't do is when they fit somebody with a, a sleep appliance, they don't check it in the in the lying back position. They they check it just with the patient That's sitting the most up obvious in the chair. one. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah but weird. people do things that make no People don't always do things that make sense. Well, Especially true. doctors don't always do things that make sense. It, 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 it's, it, but, uh, but nobody questions it. You know, like the biggest thing that, as an aside, when, when you finish dental treatment, has your dentist ever said to you, let me check your bite, bite down? Has, it, has right. they ever said to you that? You ever heard that? Do you know that you can't bite down? You can only bite up? Is it only your lower jaw that moves? Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's just, but there's even a... Um... In our language, we have bite down on stuff. That's a very common use of language. Right. So, so that, but we know what that means. But, but in actuality, we're really not biting down. We're only biting up. Mm. Right. Okay. But, but any, but, 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 but so, you, we should be able to, uh, or Dennis should have the sleep appliance adjusted in the lying back position because that's the position people sleep in. You know that that if you make a snoring sound with your jaw in a certain position and you just lie down and don't move your jaw, the snoring's going to get worse because it's just the, the, the effect, the, the effect of, uh, of gravity. So, uh, uh, question here, how do, uh, how do people uh, still snore if they're laying on their side, by the way, how does that happen? How do people have apnea on their side when they, if they sleep that way? People can fall asleep in a chair or on the couch and snore. Mm, that's true. Yeah. I've seen I've seen a guy in a plane sitting straight up snoring like crazy. So how does that happen? If you if you uh, ever take a red eye on a plane, uh, and you and you can you can look at people mouth open, people snoring. You can snore in any position. I mean, that what we try to teach is that if you have an airway problem, breathing at night, you have a problem during the day. You you compensate for it. And you, you don't make snoring sounds, but you compensate for it by keeping your muscles tight, not relaxing your muscles, keeping the muscles of your neck and shoulders tight. So one of the one of the um, comorbidities of a airway problem is constant neck 
and um, headaches, neck aches, shoulder tension, pain down your arm, because you, the uh, your brain will not let you relax. With keeping your muscles tight or essential for an open airway, your brain will not let you relax because the, the number one physiological function and priority is to be able to keep your airway open and breathe. Everything else is secondary. Oh, so, and so, so, all right, so you're go back like how, how, we you, how you, yeah, how you sleep affects how you function during the day and can easily cross over is what I'm hearing. That makes sense. But go ahead. What are you saying? Well, I'm saying two things that one, one, if, if you're not breathing well at night and you have apnea or hypopnea or upper airway resistance or frequent arousals, that, that's sort of the continuum of, uh, in sleep medicine, everybody looks at apnea. How many times a night do you stop breathing? But there's also uh, hypopnea, which is uh, an increase in effort to breathe. There's upper airway resistance, where your airway closes a little bit. Still no ap apneic ep episodes or snoring, or even arousals that every time you begin, your airway begins to close, you wake up. You don't wake up fully awake. You may wake up to go to a lighter stage of sleep. Right. And and the only thing that really is measured in order to have a diagnosis of apnea is the number of times you stop breathing or or you uh, you have you struggle to breathe. However, the physiological effect on our body is exactly the same whether you snore, have an arousal, stop breathing, upper airway resistance. It it requires it's called sympathetic upregulation, where your body says, "I'm in danger." It releases adrenaline. It takes us out of that nice, peaceful sleep and, and stops the, the resetting of everything at night. And that happens during the day all, all the time. It keeps people in that state of, of uh, hypervigilance, hyper alertness. Uh, muscles have to, have to be tight. During the day, we can do that. At night, when we go to sleep, everything relaxes. That's why the, our tongue falls back and, and things collapse. But during the day, certainly for uh, when we're younger, we can compensate. But compensating comes w with a price. The price could be uh, forward head position, poor posture, neck pain, headaches, uh, uh, numbness in the hands, which which could be have other factors, but it could be all related to a sleep airway problem. That, that when we're in when we're in danger, our brain says there is nothing more important than survival, and so those those things that are necessary for survival, which are under the sympathetic part of our nervous system, like heart rate and, and breathing, all our energy goes into that, and then the other functions which are more parasympathetic, digestion, elimination, sexual function. They get sidelined. Uh, they get sidelined. Yeah. Well, they're not as important, you know. So right. we have. Uh, it's like we have rooms in the house, and everybody has to repair one room. There's nobody maintaining the other the other room. So, so if somebody says, "I have problems, diarrhea, constipation, um, getting them up at night to go to the bathroom, erectile dysfunction," they can all be a component of an airway problem, and and so that. What we're trying to say, you don't just look at, I'm sleepy, I snore, uh, I, I'm tired in the morning. Almost 
every single chronic disease has an airway component. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever heard of Dale Bredesen, who wrote the book, The End of Alzheimer's. I've heard the name, yeah. So uh, he has now successfully reversed early to moderate stages of Alzheimer's. I think it's now up to 500 patients. Wow. And not, not with any magic drug or, or bullets by doing very extensive testing. And, he, and what he calls, he's identified 36 holes in the roof. 36 holes meaning that 36 different things that, that, can, that are factors in, that can lead to cognitive loss and Alzheimer's. And it's important that once you identify them, which of those does each person have? Somebody can only have four or five, but somebody could have 30. Everybody, everybody's different. But one of the common ones is, uh, is sleep. And, and so, uh, we want, so we don't want just practitioners to look at, ask questions about whether you're sleeping well, or that anytime somebody comes in and shows a health history of any of these chronic diseases, and and it's dynamic that if somebody who has has uh, maybe a high blood pressure in their 30s and and 40s and what's happening in our society, all these chronic diseases are beginning to to uh, start earlier. There are teenagers now who are on blood pressure medication, which never happened. Yeah, it's terrible. Even a decade, you know, this is this is really an an epidemic. Um, Anybody who has, it's dynamic. So uh, somebody could be on blood pressure medication in their 30s, and then by the time they're in their 40s, now they're on diabetes med- medication. Then they're on, uh, and then on their, they're on heart medication or or, st- or statins or or uh, or they develop an irregular heartbeat and they need something for that. And and you can trace with each generation, they they have their new symptoms, which now in our society that's quote being called normal. It's part as we get older, we have more things wrong with us, but I would make the case that it isn't normal. It's because of our, 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 our lifestyle. And because most of the treatments don't deal with getting at the root cause of the problem, that all these diseases are a different way that the imbalance that, that exists from childhood are being expressed, you know, so that, imbalances express itself as high blood pressure and then no problem we'll put a band-aid on it we'll fix that yeah. and uh, and then those same problems they've been there they haven't changed they've, they've always been there now it's expressed as something else like a cardiovascular problem right a cardiologist they'll fix it so by the time okay. you get to be 50 or 60 you have a cardiologist endocrinologist pain pain specialist rheumatologist you know, and, and, and then uh, all you have to do is make sure your car is filled up with gas so you can go to, so you can get to your, your next Shame. doctor's appointment. Well, Howie, this Shame, is... but uh, that's changing. No, that's true. That's exactly what's happening. And I've heard it, uh, yeah. I see what you mean. So, so it's, it's not about only about airway and, and, and sleep. It's about, it's really part of the healthcare crisis that, that, that we have. And, you know, and our, and our society makes it more difficult to sleep. I mean, I... I don't know about you. I'm old enough to remember that that there was a time when at 11 o'clock at night, there were no programs on the TV when it went off, and the only thing you could, you could stay up and watch test pad, patterns if you wanted. Uh, there, there are some. There's so many lights on 
all around. And, and there's something called light pollution, just the, the amount of light that's on. You know, and uh, if you live in uh, in an area uh, and you're not uh, in a low socioeconomic group, you may not be able to have good uh, room darkening shades on your windows. So now you're getting all this light coming in from the from the window from street lights that also will affect your ability to produce uh, melatonin. So so there are things that are that we've that have helped us have a better lifestyle in society, but nothing comes without a price. And we have to ask ourselves, like, is, is that cost uh, worth it? You know, but, uh, I remember if we, if our family ate out once or twice a month, that was a lot. And now the average family either eats out or brings in taking food more than meals than, than they eat at home. So a lot of people uh, eat out every so you're not meal. getting that. All right. And so, um, you're not, first of all, aside from the fact that even if it's good food, it, it, it is more salt, there's more preservatives put in it, number one. And you don't have a relationship with your your food. Food is just something you do so that you can move on to your next activity as yeah. opposed to taking a break and and uh, just eating, eating when you're calmer and not thinking about, let me just throw some food into my mouth so I can get back to the work I'm doing. There needs needs to be more balance in our life. So, wow, here we started talking about airway and myofunctional therapy, and look where we're, look where we've gone. But it's only because it's all connected. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, Howie, I mean, you know, like I said, you're a wealth of knowledge. That's why I wanted you back. There's, there's still more to talk about, but we're out of time. So, what? I know you do a series of you know, webinars, but what are? Tell me about them, and tell me about some of the resources for listeners as we wrap. Okay, so. Um, um, I think the number one uh, resource for people who are who are listening to this podcast is to go to uh, the website for the Foundation for Airway Health, and that is www.airwayhealth.org. Uh, that was created for the public in order for them to, to give them more information about airway. Uh, we have success stories about people who discovered their airway problem how it changed their life. There's a story about a pharmacist who, uh, when he had his airway treated, his uh, Hashimoto's disease, which is, which is a uh, autoimmune thyroid disease, reversed itself and went away. So there are success stories. We also have a sleep inventory where anybody can go online, take the sleep inventory, it gets assessed, and you'll get back your risk factor. If you If you went online to do it yourself, it would cost $12.95. We got somebody who donated the questionnaires to the foundation so people can get this for no, for no charge. So there's a wealth of information on the foundation website. And uh, I always like to give people one message, one action item. I think that anybody who listens to your podcast, take a few minutes, visit Foundation for Airway Health, airwayhealth.org, and take advantage of the information that's available. There's also a, a directory of practitioners who have signed a pledge that they will screen all their patients for airway problems. So that would be my, my takeaway for today's message. That's great. Well, Howie, thanks again for coming. I really appreciate it. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, 
stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.